Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Thursday morning, the 16th of November. Good morning. With much debate and discussion from now till 11am, this is Michael Reid on LMFM. The death toll in Gaza has now risen to 11,500. 4,710 of the people killed are children. 3,160 are women. 200 medical personnel have been killed. 22 civil defence and 51 journalists. Almost 30,000 people have been injured. 70% of the injured are said to be women and children. All we can do, it seems, is watch from afar as people are massacred. Tishik, there are a number of options available to you to take action, many of which are in our uh, PMB this morning. Economic sanctions like the EU-Israel trade agreement, there's the Horizon Europe Fund, there's the Illegal Israeli Settlement Divestment Bill, the Occupied Territories Bill, there's the referral to the International Criminal Courts, and you say, oh, well, there's already a referral there. Along with 42 other countries who made a referral in relation to Russia. So somebody else doing it isn't a reason not to do it now. There's the option of removing the diplomatic status of the ambassador. Holly Kearns, the leader of uh, the Social Democrats, speaking in the Dáil yesterday following a private member's motion that, if adopted, would have resulted in the expulsion of the Israeli ambassador to Ireland. The first group of Irish citizens and dependents has been cleared to exit through the Rafah crossing from Gaza into Egypt today. Arrangements are in place for staff from the Irish embassy in Cairo to meet them and provide them with consular assistance and help for onward travel. And we expect more Irish citizens and dependents in Gaza to be on the list in the coming days. We're working really hard to make sure that all Irish citizens and their dependents in Gaza who want to leave are able to do so in the next couple of days. Uh, I've met with the Israeli ambassador about this, uh, the Egyptian foreign minister, the Palestinian prime minister, the Tanshta has been carrying out, carry, carrying out meetings as well. And I do want to recognise all of those who've assisted us and our citizens uh, in being able to uh, have this good news, this glimmer of hope to share with people today. The Taoiseach Leo Vradker. The motion to expel the Israeli ambassador was defeated in the Dáil last night. The Social Democrats were calling on the government to act in any way open to it. What can we do when Israel won't even agree to protect babies? The government, on the other hand, says it is doing everything 
that it possibly can do. The actions we're taking, Deputy, the actions we're taking are the ones that we think will be effective. We'll discuss this now with uh, Gary Gannon, a Social Democrat TD who's on the line, and Independent TD, Marion Harkin, who opposed the Social Democrat motion yesterday. And good morning to both of you, and thank you indeed for joining us. I don't think we're going to have much in the way of debate this morning because I think there's very little between the two positions that you both hold. Indeed, uh, that could probably be said about every politician in Leinster House. Uh, Gary Gannon, if I I could start with yourself, uh, 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 that was probably exemplified best by the way you began your speech yesterday uh, in quoting Minister Simon Harris and how he had referred to this war as a war on children and that you cannot build peace on the graves of children. There's a, a lot of agreement when it comes to how Ireland should act. Yeah, of course it is. Look, nobody has a monopoly on compassion and nobody could look at the events that are unfolding in Gaza and not have your heart break at the, what we're seeing. What we aren't seeing, though, where we do differ is the difference between rhetoric and strong action. And that's where the Social Democrats last night were calling for. We were calling for turn those words into actions. We gave us weird measures contained within that. Some economic, some diplomatic sanctions. And what we were asking for was the government to take the lead in terms of proposing economic sanctions in terms of pushing for diplomatic cessation, if that's necessary. And look, we didn't make that call rightly or anywhere close to it. But what we want to do is bring the government to a position more reflective of where the Irish people are at. That those words are important and Ireland has been an outlier in their condemnation. They mean nothing if they're not followed up with action. And Israel has never felt consequences for their actions. Um, look, there is a comparison to be made in terms of the international reaction to Russia's horrific invasion of Ukraine when immediately there were sanctions. There was calls from all sides of actually the political divide for cessation of diplomatic tourism, expulsion of battles. But when we see what's happening in Gaza at the minute, the horrors of it, all we're given is words. This has been enabled by the US, by various powerful actors within the EU. You look at the UK yesterday, you couldn't even agree to call for a ceasefire. We had people expelled from the Labour Party to call for a ceasefire. Look, we think we can go further, and what, that was what we were trying to do yesterday. We wanted to bring the Irish state further than where we've been previously. I think we've had some achievements mm. in that. It's certainly been a strengthening of language mm. from the Taoiseach. So, yes, so that's what we brought forward. Okay. Uh, as I said, Marion Harkin, and correct me if I'm wrong, I take it there'd be little disagreement uh, between yourself and Gary Gannon and the same uh, across uh, the floor of uh, Leinster House or of Dáil Éireann, as uh, the case may be. But you did differ on this particular issue of uh, expelling the Israeli ambassador, uh, ambassador, although you told the Dáil last night that you disagree with much of what she has said, but it's diplomacy that should work uh, or that Ireland should use to work to help the Palestinians. That's my position on it, and good morning, Gary. Yes, there's there's very little difference between us. I did say I supported uh, the calls in the um, Social Democrats' motion. Uh, They call for a number of actions. Uh, One of them, for example, is to suspend the EU-Israeli association agreement and the trade agreement with Israel. I've already written to the uh, Commissioner, Don Brofskis, and to von der Leyen, uh, quoting the various articles in the treaty which says that Israel must have respect for human rights and asking them to start the process of suspending those treaties. I think we we go after... uh, Israel, as it were, 
where they have signed up to agreements, whether it's trade or Horizon, um, which is another European fund, uh, because they've signed those. They've signed that they will uh, consider and ensure uh, democracy and human rights. So once they break them, and Mm. they have, then it's time to to call a halt. The the one thing I, I just felt I, I couldn't ask for was to get rid of the ambassador, not because of the ambassador, but because um, talking, uh, engaging, listening, conversation, trying to um, find solutions is the, is the only way this will end. It'll, it'll have to end across a table of peace talks. And I'm not suggesting Ireland will be there. I don't think our influence Mm. is that strong or that important. But I I do think that keeping the lines of communication open is absolutely crucial. I think it probably helps in getting Irish citizens uh, across the the Rafa crossing. Um, I'm not Mm. saying, again, it was pivotal, but I'm sure it did help that those lines of communication. Let me bring Gary Gannon. I'm sorry, sorry, Marion. Let me bring Gary Gary Gannon back in on that point because I I think that probably is an important point and there's a question there which probably nobody can answer uh, as to whether uh, the Irish government's position uh, had any bearing on the release uh, of uh, people but um, would they uh, be coming across uh, the border now if the government had expelled the ambassador? I don't for a second, think the two things are related. I mean, if you take, for example, the Taoiseach was in Egypt yesterday and he was following the role that the Egyptian authority played in terms of communicating the release of the Irish citizens there. But also, is that the full extent of Irish diplomacy? Is that what we do? We get our citizens out, which we absolutely should be doing, but then we avert their gaze away from what's happening to the other two million people left in that hell hole at the minute that Israel have created. Look, I don't doubt for a second um, the importance of keeping lines of communications open. But if you look at the example of apartheid South Africa, mm. that cruel injustice was only brought to an end by the world stage when they made a pariah of that regime. Mm. Look, Ireland is a small, but it's an important voice. We don't have a colonial... We don't have it. We have never been colonial oppressors. I think in terms of having a proper diplomatic doctrine for Ireland was that yeah. we will not engage with people who are the United Nations are saying are currently inflicting an ongoing genocide in Gaza. I think there are very few regimes who would be accused of that, and their tarnish would go down and shake their hands in the very midst of it. But if you think of the horrors that are happening in Al-Shifra Hospital, right as we speak, um, and the surrounds... Um, I know, I know. And, and, and I mean, I think, as I've said a number of times at this stage, I imagine there's very few people, let alone in Leinster House, but across the country who would disagree on the fundamental aspect of what appears to be a genocide by all accounts. But if you look at this in the context of global diplomacy and how the world is reacting, yeah. uh, will Ireland become a pariah if it takes a position as strong as the one that you're suggesting? I mean, look at the UN Security Council resolution last night just to allow for humanitarian pauses to get humanitarian aid in. Uh, America uh, and the UK abstained. Yeah, Michael, and if that's the world, is that the world we live in? And is it just this whole engaged in real politics to invert? Like, a humanitarian pause is all that could be called for because there aren't stronger voices going forward. Or like, what is a humanitarian pause? I raised this yesterday in my speech. They stopped bombing for four hours. And by the time the people in Gaza can even reconcile themselves to the horror that's been afflicted, they start bombing again, and then we pat ourselves on the back and say that's a victory for diplomacy. 
I really don't think so. I think it's important to be a lone voice if necessary, to step outside of that, call the horror for what it is. I think that could be Ireland's role. I don't think the falling in behind the US and the von der Leyen, the UK at the minute, is actually an appropriate or a moral position to take. I don't think it would make us a pariah on the world stage. I think it enables us to ask very difficult and challenging questions. And I think that's what we'll be remembered for. I think that's the real role of Irish foreign policy. Okay, Marion Harkin, you spoke last night about what you see as a growing inhumanity in people's heart as death and destruction become the only reality and as rage and anger supplant reason and empathy. Uh, There is no end in sight. Uh, Again, looking at that United Nations resolution last night to think that Russia, uh, uh, the United States and the United Kingdom abstained Uh, that they didn't vote either way to allow aid to get people who are getting it from every angle possible. I find that uh, shocking. I'm horrified by it. And myself and and Gary agree on 99% of all of this. Uh, I mean, not just last night, other times I've spoken. I mean, we can't forget that, that Israel has flouted UN resolutions for many years. I spoke on this many times in the European Parliament. But I suppose my bottom line on all of this is that this there has to be an end. And the end is across a table of peace talks. And, you know, to suggest that I, I'm not, don't know if it's me or the government she's saying is averting our gaze. I'm certainly not doing that. I'm looking at it. I'm looking to see what is the best way would it would it save a life would it make mm. um, any difference would it, if we expelled the ambassador and i suppose i i look to the the likes of of john hume a man who never gave up he never stopped talking he never stopped listening he never stopped engaging with those he disagreed fundamentally with uh, and and at the end of it that's how people come together because if you can't get hearts and minds together, if you can't get them to listen to one another, then uh, you, you you don't make progress when it comes to living together. And, and you can quote South Africa, but really we should look mm. closer to home and see how, how we as a people manage to find a peace and and look to those lessons. I'm not saying I have all the right answers here, and I know Gary isn't either. Nobody has. But it's just a slight difference of opinion. I know his party would have expelled the uh, the Russian ambassador uh, and the Israeli, and I've, I voted against both, not because in for one instant would I avert my gaze from what Russia is doing or, or what Israel is doing. I'm horrified, I'm sickened, I can barely watch some of it, like most of your listeners. But the question is, as a small country, what are the steps we should take to try to help? And I think, yes, you know, try to suspend the trade agreements, pass the Occupied Territories Bill, refer Israel to the International Criminal Court, all of that, but don't stop talking to them. Okay. Well, your motion was defeated, uh, Gary Gannon. What can be done now? Uh, I think everybody 
is at a, a loss uh, and we are watching a massacre for, from uh, afar. Uh, I was watching um, the Israeli ambassador to the United Nations talk about uh, the biggest pro-Israeli rally that ever took place in the United States this week where 300,000 people turned up in support of Israel. Uh, there's rallies planned across the country this weekend. Uh, does it make any difference if people come out to show how they feel about this? It absolutely makes a difference. Look, even if you take the difference in the change of government rhetoric over the last week, um, when we first raised the issue of the EU trade agreement with the with Taoiseach two weeks ago and asked him to raise it at the next European Council meeting in December, he told us that he wouldn't. He would continue to call for a ceasefire. Look, everyone should call for a ceasefire every single day. But... It hasn't, but he's now torn and changed his language and said at the next European Council meeting he will seek legal advice as to whether we can call for the inaction of those human rights clauses within the trade agreement. That's down from the fact that over 13,000 people took the time to contact our offices, send emails, show up at rallies, and you can very clearly see the demand that the Irish people live for the Irish state to go further. And look, we brought a suite of recommendations yesterday, and we wanted the government to go for it. We appreciate there will be differences in relation to the experiment of the ambassador. That's just parliamentary um, debate, and that's fine. We'll keep going. We'll keep making our calls. We'll keep bringing new motions to the table. We'll keep asking the government to go for it. I fundamentally believe Israel won't stop without sanctions. I really do. I appreciate the place for diplomacy and the examples of the North that's being given. But I think in this instance, we have one incredibly militarily powerful actor um, hell-bent on destroying a population that is significantly less advantaged mm. to them. Uh, they're being enabled by the U.S. military machine. I think it's quite different. I think the order's role mm. has to be to cry stop, to cry halt. And if we have to be the force to bring economic sanctions or to call for them, I think that would be a real proud position for us to have. So I'm going to keep going. Yeah. Um, that is the call that makes. Mm, do you think, Marion Harkin, that perhaps that is where this will end up, uh, that Ireland will take uh, a stronger position, given the intention of Israel to annihilate Hamas uh, and the people it, it says it's using as human shields? Because this is unique conflict. There are parallels undoubtedly with uh, the Irish conflict or other troubles across uh, the world but this is unique in that Israel intent on annihilating Hamas has the support of the Western world. Yes, it is a unique conflict and Hamas, uh, their stated objective is the destruction of Israel. So we, we have, but Israel is the powerful aggressor here and Israel is, is flouting humanitarian law every hour of every day. And, and that's where we have to try and stop it. And I would say to Gary that, you know, if our government will not uh, push the European Commission in regard, let's say, to the trade deal. You don't have to be a government to do it. Uh, the the um, Taoiseach may be looking for legal advice, but even as an individual, you can bring a complaint to the Commission. I've already done that, for example, uh, to ask the Commission to um, look at the trade deal and the fact that Israel is flouting the terms of that deal. The opposition in Dolairn could do that okay. if, if government didn't want to. Uh, and when uh, a party like Israel uh, signs up uh, to an agreement with the EU, then 
they have to keep the terms of that agreement. Um, so it is perfectly legitimate. A, a parallel example, though it's not uh, in any way the same, was the time about the Brazilian beef when we were importing beef from Brazil under a certain trade deal and uh, things were shown uh, not to be uh, according to the rules and regulations okay. of the deal. And we were, as a country, as a government, we were able to, to go to the Commission and call them out. Now, I'm not saying there's any mm. parallel, but sure. it is the same type of situation. Mm. And, and that's why those clauses are in those deals. Okay. I voted for many of them. And mm. if they're to mean anything, and that's what I said to the Commissioner, if this is to mean anything, uh, then they have to start the process. Otherwise, they cannot look their citizens in the eye and say that these clauses in trade deals okay. matter. Maybe, so maybe, maybe we'll conclude on that, Marion, uh, because, uh, uh, as you say, it's open to you, Gary Gannon, just to ask you to respond quickly. It's open to you as a, a TD or your party or uh, as a, a lobby uh, of opposition uh, TDs uh, to take a, a complaint to, to the EU Commission. How do you respond to Marion Harkin? Yeah, of course we do, and we'll talk to Marion about in terms of joining her application in that regard. Look, we're also in terms of her role as TDs, particularly in opposition, in opposition, it's to bring the government further than we have been previously. Look, we're dealing that. We've done that last night. Other parties of the left will have motions next week. I'm sure they'll relate to the situation in Gaza too. I know Marion Proven would be able to bring a motion the following week afterwards. Oh, look, I'm happy to work with people across the political spectrum just okay. in terms of what Ireland can do as an actor, as an entity, as a state, and I'll work with anybody in that regard. This mm-hmm. continues. Like yesterday's vote was just one day. And we're right back to it today talking about what we can do next. Okay, we'll leave it there. Thank you both very much indeed for joining us on Thank the programme today. Gary Gannon, Social Democrat TD, uh, along with Independent TD, Marion Harkin. Now, if you would like to make comment on our programme today, our phone number is 0419832000. And yes, our phones are working. You can call us today and we will answer the phone and we will talk to you and hopefully you'll have something to say. We'll write it down and relay it to everybody else listening. 0419832000. 2000 is our telephone number. You can also text or WhatsApp us on 086 or email michael at lmfm.ie. Airgrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. I'll just bring you one comment uh, for the moment from Tom who says he's been talking to a lot of people and he says the same feelings are, are coming out. Hamas was wrong to do what it, it did, killing 1,400 people in Israel. But everyone agrees, agrees Israel is very, very wrong, uh, killing thousands of people men, women and children. Israel is out of control and has to be stopped and so does Hamas. Our politicians should grow a backbone. USA and UK are holding us to ransom and Tom says that this is not good enough. All of this didn't begin on October the 7th. It has been going on since 1948. Uh, And the founders of the Israeli state made it absolutely clear that they were going to ethnically cleanse the Palestinians from the word go, and that is what they have done since 1948, uh, done again in 67, have done again and again, and we're doing it all of this year, long before October uh, the 7th. I mean, Netanyahu stood in front of the UN in September with a map that erased all reference to Palestine. 
They made it clear. Netanyahu said earlier this year, there will be no Palestinian state. Smotrich said, there is no such thing as the Palestinians in March of 2023. This was the deadliest year for Palestinians in years before anything happened on October the 7th. And people in human rights organizations, the Palestinians, people in this house pleaded for the last few years for people to take action and end the impunity of Israel for war crimes and crimes against humanity. You failed to act, and frankly, you have blood on your hands uh, for what has happened since uh, because of your failure uh, to uh, act against Israel. Israel is not a normal state, and a state that is built on ethnic cleansing, that is built on apartheid, that is built on day in, day out, killing Palestinians with impunity, has no right to self-defense. None. You don't have the right to defend an illegal occupation. You don't have the right to defend apartheid. You don't have the right uh, to defend uh, years of ethnic cleansing. The only people who have the right to defend themselves are Palestinians. And that's even under international law, never mind morality. But still, you, you give them impunity. You can allow them to continue this massacre, but it is absolutely clear what they are engaged in is the use of terrorism to terrify the entire Gaza population and drive them out. And they're doing it on the West Bank, where there's no uh, Hamas either, and they've declared it publicly. So we need uh, the people to do what governments have failed to do. And that's why I urge people to get out on the streets tonight, outside the door before this vote, and I want to commend the 13,000 people who sent in emails in the last few days calling for sanctions. I want to see people out on the streets this Saturday as part of the global mass movement uh, that is demanding that finally we acknowledge that Israel is not a normal state, it is an apartheid state, it is a terrorist state, it is a, taste, a state built on the mass expulsion and murder of Palestinian uh, people. Uh, and it's only when we dismantle that horrific regime we will end the terror and massacre we are now witnessing. That's Richard Boyd Barrett speaking in the Dáil before that vote was held last night. And as you've been hearing, the motion to expel the Israeli ambassador was uh, defeated. So Richard Boyd Barrett of uh, People Before Profit. Strong speech. Uh, We'll hear uh, another uh, section from a speech uh, given in the Dáil yesterday. Somewhat different uh, contribution, this time from Danny Healy Ray, who was comparing the conflict to a fistfight in Canmare. We we have to remain neutral, and and I'm calling here in the loudest possible way in this chamber that... that, uh, that we remain neutral, but that we ask and do everything possible to ensure that this that this uh, uh, war ends on a humanitarian basis, because so many lawyers are being taken and lost. And I'll just give an example. When I was a young fella, I used to be out late. And I came around the car, Max Sweeney's corner and came here one night at 3 o'clock in the morning, and... Um, there was two fellas, two very good friends of mine fighting. One of them was being kicked in the ground because the other fellow was way bigger. I, it was my duty to get out and stop that fight because uh, while there were two friends of mine, I, I had to part them and separate them. And, and that's what we should try to do on, on an international basis. I condemn Biden for not uh, 
uh, you, you know, he could, I believe he could stop it. If he, if he, just one, one word from him and he could stop it. And it's sad to think that so many lives are being lost. And we have to consider our own uh, people that are out there stranded. Uh, 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 Irish passport holders. We want to get them home safely out of it. I don't know what took them there in the first place, Minister, uh, or why you go to that uh, war-stricken zone. Thank you. And, and um, yeah. also that, that hostages you, that are being held, that they're released immediately, and this thing is stopped. Right, that's uh, Danny Healy Ray speaking in uh, the doll yesterday. Peter in touch with us saying Irish people can boycott everything that is made or sold by Israel. That's the one way the Israeli government will listen to the people of Ireland. So thanks for your text, Peter. Our phone number 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. And if you want to make comments, email Michael at LMFM.ie. You find on motorways or on some dual carriageways, apparently laybys are being repurposed. This really is a peculiar story, the type of story that when you hear it, you check the date to make sure that it's not the 1st of April. But it is not the 1st of April. And Transport Infrastructure Ireland says that laybys are to be repurposed. This means that private motorists will be banned from using laybys. It's coming under their draft service area policy and in that they say that laybys will be reserved for those driving heavy goods vehicles or lorries. Other vehicles will not be allowed to use the laybys. Let's uh, speak uh, to Fianna Fáil Senator Timmy Dooley, who's a member of uh, the Transport Committee. Good morning, Senator Dooley, and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme. It is a most peculiar story. What is equally peculiar, I think, is that a consultation period ended on this at the end of August. Uh, The first I heard of this was this week. What do you know about this and what do you make of it? Well, that makes two of us, Michael, um, because I hadn't heard about this uh, until... Uh, I think a, a news article appeared in one of the papers in the last number of days. I think it's off-the-wall stuff. Um, laybys are not overused. I, I More than yourself, I travel the motorways of Ireland every week, um, and I see people using the laybys. Some trucks, some cars, some vans. I've never seen uh, a queue to enter them. I've never seen them being overused. Some people use them to take a break. Some people use them uh, in an emergency where they, quite frankly, need to to, to use um, the bushes um, to, to to use the loo effectively because there are no there are no facilities there. Um, I've often seen parents with children where a child's nappy needs to be changed, where maybe a child has gotten sick uh, when they're driving, and it affords the the person driving the car an opportunity to pull in, deal with whatever issue, crisis, whatever short-term issue they have, and they drive on. They're not overused. There's, As I said, there's no queue. It's not as if there's cars backing out onto the motorway. Um, there's a number of them that I'm familiar with on the N7 that they have sealed off in the last number of years, which makes no sense. Um, I've used them o- over the years when my children were younger. Um, I've used them, you know, from a point of view of fatigue, that if you're travelling for uh, you know, a long number of hours. It's a useful place just to pull in, stretch your legs, etc. And mm. um, now I do accept that there are a greater number of motorway stops that have been built in recent years, but there's a long distance between them. And if you have 
an emergency or you're feeling tired, etc. And we see signs on the motorway that says tiredness kills. And that's an indication that, quite frankly, if you're feeling tired, you pull in at the next available spot, whether that's a rest mm. stop, a lay-by or whatever. Um, the issue, in my view, that the TII should be concentrating on is these under-equipped um, entrances and exits off of the motorway. Um, in an effort to cut costs a number of years ago, they changed the design standard of some of what are referred to as the egress points, where you enter and exit a motorway. Um, they're very tight. They have a low... Um, or they have a relatively short um, element of, of road in advance of you turning left uh, into them. And they're quite dangerous because cars approach at speed and then they have to brake heavily. Mm. So if, if the TII are concerned about safety on the road network, that's where they need to begin. Uh, I also think, quite frankly, they should be looking at increasing the number of layboys on motorways not eliminating or reducing them. It's very hard to understand. Whatever about a, a pit stop or changing a nappy or whatever the case may be, uh, the most concerning thing has to be driver fatigue. And what this will yeah. mean is that if your eyes are rolling in your head and you're not sure if you can keep yourself awake uh, and you come to a lay-by, you'll have to drive past it uh, or else you'll be breaking the law until you come to a service area uh, and uh, there are EU rules on this uh, that there has to be somewhere for you to stop every 60 kilometres and apparently there's enough service areas now that will allow for that uh, but what do you think is the thinking behind this because if the laybys are not being overused and it's not necessary to ban cars from using them uh, is there some commercial element to this, do you think, that if you go to a service area because you're tired and you're falling asleep or you need a coffee or you have to change the baby's nappy or whatever it is, that you might also buy uh, a coffee and a burger? There may well be some commercial um, issue behind this, but the TI have a responsibility in relation to road safety. They put signs on the road that says tiredness kills. Now, to, 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 to the casual observer... Uh, if you see a sign you're feeling tired or if you're feeling any way kind of dreary, that can happen. That can come on you really quickly. Um, asking somebody to drive another 30 or 40 kilometres could be the difference between being involved in a very serious accident that could lead to death or serious injury. Um, so I, in that instance, I can't see how any commercial um, element should, should, should override that. I, quite frankly, I would be asking the TII to look at increasing the number um, of laybys on the road rather than reducing. It, it makes mm. no sense. I, I, I mean, there may be some data behind this. There may be some belief that they're not being used very much, etc., etc. So that means that they're used in a small number of cases. It's only a small number of people that are in a fatigued position every day and even lesser number end up having an accident. But if you increase the risk by yeah. reducing the opportunity for somebody to pull over, then this will, in my yeah. view, lead um, to death on our roads. And my God, our our, our numbers have spiked mm. this year over every other year. Absolutely, we it's dreadful. Be, it's a dreadful year. Uh, ju just very quickly to conclude, if I can, because the talk is getting better of us, apparently this policy is to be concluded by the end of the year. I'm not sure when it will be implemented, but time is of the essence, uh, given that we're in the middle of November, the end of November, pretty much at, at this stage. Is there the time for your committee, the Transport Committee, to question TII on this? and
and uh, to effect change if that's what the committee believes is appropriate? Well, that's my intention. Um, I've spoken to our chairperson. Um, I've, I've, I've asked the, our, our acting chair of the Transport Committee uh, to see if he can facilitate a meeting with the TII in the next number of weeks to just hear the, their logic in the first instance, but it gives members of the Iraqis an opportunity to bring forward their thoughts, their views and their lived experience, quite frankly, because uh, not, not, not wanting to reiterate the point, but mm-hmm. politicians spend a lot of time on the road. They know the use and the benefits of laybys. They see people using them, they use them themselves, and this makes no sense, quite frankly. Okay. You're, you're, you're we'll leave it there. Thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Fianna Fáil Senator Timmy Dooley, a member of uh, the Rockless Committee on Transport. 086-1800-658 The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by Airgrid. Managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Cancer Day. What does that mean? Well, it's an opportunity to highlight what is a silent killer and to to raise awareness of the signs and symptoms of pancreatic cancer. To help us do that, we're joined by Tom Gallagher, who's a consultant surgeon at the National Surgical Centre for Pancreatic Cancer at St. Vincent's University Hospital. Good morning to you, Tom, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. And when you describe this as a silent killer. Uh, perhaps you could start this morning by explaining to our listeners what that means in reality. Of course. Good morning, Michael. Thank morning. you very much for having me on. Um, you're dead right. It is, it is what we would call a silent killer. And that's very much because a lot of the symptoms that you start off with in this can be very vague and can often be put down to something else. So what I suppose we're really trying to raise awareness is of is are some of these symptoms that people should probably be looking out for and basically to know your own body and know what's what's different or what's new and some of these symptoms might include vague tummy pain or back pain that's going on for a little bit longer than usual some digestive problems such as poor appetite or nausea or indigestion sometimes you can get a a change in your bowel habits where they're a little bit pale or, or, or even floating which might seem a little bit strange and other things, so you can also get new onset of diabetes as well. So if that's something that you've been recently diagnosed with and you've any of those other kind of symptoms, well then we, we're, what we're trying to do in this campaign is raise some awareness that it should be at the back of your mind that maybe pancreas cancer is an issue. And that what we're trying to do is create awareness so that people recognize these symptoms early enough mm. so that we can actually go ahead and, and do something about this. The real problem and the real reason it can be called a silent killer is that a lot of these symptoms are ignored for weeks or months on end through no fault of, of, of anybody, but it kind of it, it delays the diagnosis and then it gets to the stage where it's beyond what I can do as a surgeon or what my oncology or chemotherapy doctors can help with either. And that's highlighted in the figures. Um, 600 people will be dying. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. 
You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Diagnosed with uh, pancreatic cancer this year, 500 of the 600 people diagnosed will die. Exactly. So th- I mean, the survival mm. for this is, is shockingly low. Um, and while there are possible cures, as I said, the real chance of that is when we can get it at an early stage or an early mm. diagnosis. So I think recognising those, as I said, what can be vague symptoms sometimes is really key uh, for people to be aware of. OK. Uh, is it for people to be aware of or for GPs to be aware of? Uh, or to put that a, a, another way too, if I, I can, uh, how is it that I'd be diagnosed as having diabetes, let's say, and complained of the other symptoms that you mentioned uh, without being checked for pancreatic cancer? So I suppose the, 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 the reality is that a lot of those symptoms that I've just gone through are very vague and the majority of them can be put down to other reasons. I suppose it's if you've any combination of those kind of symptoms, so new onset diabetes, but you have a bit of unexplained weight loss or a bit of back pain or something like that, that would be a, you know, a trigger and you know, to investigate a, a little bit further or to you know, seek medical advice based on the, that kind of constellation of symptoms, if you know what I mean. Mm. So it's really a combination of, of those symptoms rather than any one just on its own. And quite often when people are diagnosed, as you say, it's too late, but uh, they're diagnosed with little time left. Is that correct? It can be, yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we, we have occasional patients and they're diagnosed and, and unfortunately within a couple of months they, they, they pass away. Um, and that's really when they present with very advanced disease that, you know, beyond basic measures, there, there's not, not a lot we can do to, to treat the disease at that stage, which again is why, you know, awareness of those kind of symptoms and early diagnosis is really key for this. All right. And why is it uh, that pancreatic cancer is uh, so deadly? Uh, why why is it um, so more uh, hard to, to treat, uh, so much harder to treat than other yeah. cancers? Because I think compared to other cancers, it tends to spread from the pancreas at a very early stage. Um, the majority of cases, 80% of cases, will, all over, will have already gone beyond the pancreas. Um, at the time we diagnose it. And the reason for that, the pancreas is an awkward place at the back of the tummy. It does, it's fairly vague symptoms. It gives rise to so people can tend to ignore them for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, which is giving this cancer a, a chance to move or spread beyond the pancreas. And that's what we're seeing. And once it's gone beyond that, I mean, it, it is quite quite difficult to treat at that stage. Okay. Uh, as mentioned, 
600 people will be diagnosed this year, 500 of those will die. Uh, nobody wants to be in uh, that category. But what about the other category, the 100 people who survive? Undoubtedly, they come to you, Tom. What do you do? Well, exactly. So uh, about 20 percent, 20 to 25 percent of cases will be suitable for an operation, either straight up or after some tr- chemotherapy to begin with. That's a, it's a tough old operation, I'll be honest, um, to, to get through that. And um, But of those that do, that is their best chance of cure. That is, in, in reality, their only chance of cure. And as you said, the figures, about one in six people will will survive uh, beyond that operation and, and through and lead a, lead a good life afterwards. A good life. Uh, what is the prognosis generally? Uh, does it extend life or uh, will people uh, live uh, the life expectancy that they would have hoped? I think people can do that. The numbers of people who, who do that is, is small, I'll be honest. Um, it won't, even if you have the operation, there is always a chance of this thing coming back. So you're certainly under lifelong surveillance afterwards. The majority of people need some additional treatment like chemotherapy after the operation. And it's certainly something you'll live with after the operation uh, very much so. Okay. Uh, talk us through those symptoms uh, again, because it is World Pancreatic Cancer Day. You're joining us uh, to highlight uh, the symptoms uh, and to ask people to look at, at how they're feeling uh, as part of this five in six campaign yes. so that lives can be saved. Uh, maybe you would talk yes. us through those symptoms again, please. 100%. So really, I suppose, so any degree of unexplained weight loss, a new onset of diabetes, or if you're already diabetic, your, your sugars are getting a little bit harder to control for whatever reason. Anything like jaundice or yellowing of the eyes, that would certainly be a, a, a hard sign. Digestive problems, and they can always be a little bit vague, but you know, poor appetite, indigestion, a bit of nausea, in combination with some vague tummy pain that you're not used to or is new for you. And then also a noticeable change in your bowel habits. So, you know, pale coloured stools or floating stools. Any combination of those five or six symptoms, um, you know, should probably seek you to, to, or we'd advise you to go and seek some medical advice and um, find out what's driving that. The majority of cases, it won't be pancreas cancer. There'll be some other explanation, but it should be at the back of people's minds. Okay, thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning. My pleasure. Thank you. That's uh, Tom Gallagher, who's a consultant surgeon at uh, the National Surgical Centre for Pancreatic Cancer at St. Vincent's University Hospital. Now, before the headlines, (laughs) I am lost for words, believe me. Before the headlines, I had said uh, to Senator Timmy Dooley uh, that we were talking about a a story to do with laybys that I had to check the date to make sure it wasn't the 1st of April. It wasn't the 1st of April. That was before the headlines. Then we got to the headlines. And um, believe me, I was reading the headlines uh, and learning the news that I was reading to you as I was reading it, if that makes sense to you. And I was scratching my head and I was saying, is it the 1st of April? But what I read to you was that Ryan Tuberty will soon be back on the airwaves and that he is about to present a Sunday morning show here on LMFM. (laughs) It's not the 1st of April, uh, but uh, that is the news today. And I think you're going to be hearing it throughout the day. Uh, And Ryan Turpity will be appearing on other stations uh, who are part of the wireless group uh, that owns LMFM and will have a show here on LMFM on Sunday mornings. 
Uh, we had a text uh, from somebody who says, uh, I think it's uh, James, uh, who, uh, no, it's Alfie. I beg your pardon. Alfie, Alfie, thank you for your WhatsApp. He says, this means, Michael, you'll no longer be the highest paid presenter on LMFM. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, straight off the cuff, well done, Alfie. I like that. Uh, <laughs> Quick thinking on your feet. Um, very good. Uh, uh, we had another message straight away as well uh, from Anne. Uh, who said, I'm delighted to hear the news about Ryan Turbody. Going to be on LMFM on Sunday mornings. Thank you indeed. <laughs> I'm uh, as uh, surprised, let's say, as you are. Uh, if you are surprised, uh, take it. Uh, everybody is very surprised by this news. Uh, uh, and I really knew nothing about it till I was reading it. Uh, at 10 o'clock uh, uh, when I, I said to you, Ryan Turbody will soon be back on the airwaves and have a show here on LMFM on Sunday mornings. That is possibly the biggest news in Ireland today, certainly the biggest news in broadcasting in Ireland today. And uh, it won't just be here on LMFM on Sunday mornings. Ryan Turbity uh, will be uh, appearing on different stations who, like LMFM, are part of uh, the wireless group. You're welcome to let us know what you think of uh, that. Our phone number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. I, I'm not sure I even uh, uh, I'm ready for the comments, but give them to us anyway. Uh, I'm still uh, shocked by it. <laughs> anyway, uh, better get back to work, uh, seeing as how we're going to have professionals working this station. Um, uh, John in touch with us uh, about that interview with uh, Senator Dooley and how laybys are being repurposed. John says, as a driver using the M4, the M7, the M9 and the M1 regularly, I notice that these laybys were being closed off over the last while and I was thinking that this was just to encourage people to use the retail parks where they had toilets. It wasn't until I heard over the last few days that it was a decision by TII to get rid of them. I've no doubt that they gave in to pressure from these retail areas to boost their profits. This is a retrograde step for road safety, says John. Thank you, John. Uh, I can hear the concern in your comment and I think uh, it echoes what Senator Dooley uh, was saying and the concerns he expressed. I think we'll be hearing an awful lot more uh, about that uh, over the coming days. Uh, Deirdre and Kel saying uh, that there should be laybys on motorways and uh, the service areas are uh, also good uh, because of toilet breaks and so on. Mag White texting us about this too and she says, Michael Drada is a major commuter town. People use the hard shoulder up off the M1 at Junction 10, uh, uh, Drogheda, as a, a park and ride. This reduces the number of cars on the road. There is a park and ride on the M1 at Dundalk and Drogheda park and ride is on the hard shoulder. Why is that the case? I'm sure Mags wants to know. Thank you indeed, Mag, for your text. Liam says, talking about road safety uh, or safety of motorways, why are lights and ramps on the M1 never on anymore? It's very dangerous. Saving the environment, I heard. I don't know about that, Liam. Uh, thanks for bringing that to our attention. Uh, I think uh, maybe we'll put a, a query into TII about that. Very interesting. Thank you indeed. Uh, we would uh, a text earlier on uh, from Jim in Navin as well. Thanks for your message, Jim. And apologies for coming to it so late. He's texting us about Carrie. 
um, care uh, for children in Ireland, um, children at risk in Ireland, Carrie, he says it's disgraceful that Carrie, who helped children who suffered sexual abuse and need less than one million euro, can't be given it and almost 60 million can be found to bail out the scandal in RTE. Has the health minister and the government no shame? Thank you, Jim, indeed, for your message. Just to remind you, our phone number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. 0861800658. The Michael Reed Show. Guys, by the way, I'll try to come to all of uh, the comments about Ryan Turbertie's move to LMFM and other stations in uh, the wireless group uh, before we finish up today. But uh, we're going to return uh, to the ongoing conflict uh, between Israel and Hamas. And we listen now to this very important message about the innocent men, women and children the civilians who were being killed and injured by the Israeli onslaught from the World Health Organization. Yesterday, I met for the second time with families of Israeli hostages being held in Gaza. I heard and felt their pain and heartache. WHO continues to call for the hostages to be released unharmed and without any condition. We're deeply concerned for their health and well-being, just as we are concerned for the health and well-being of the people of Gaza, which is becoming more precarious every hour. For the past three days, WHO has not received updates on the number of deaths or injuries in Gaza, which makes it harder for us to evaluate the functioning of the health system. What we know is that only one quarter of Gaza's hospitals are still functioning. 26 out of 36 hospitals are now closed, either due to damage, attacks, or because they have run out of fuel. Patients, health workers, and ambulances are not able to enter or exit some hospitals. Prior to the conflict, there were around 3,500 hospital beds across Gaza. Today, there are unestimated 1,400, and there are many more patients than beds. Doctors and nurses are having to make impossible decisions on who lives and who dies. Torrential rain overnight has flooded makeshift camps, making conditions even worse for displaced people. Israel's military incursion into Al-Shifa hospital in Gaza City is totally unacceptable. Hospitals are not battlegrounds. We're extremely worried for the safety of staff and patients. Protecting them is paramount. WHO has lost contact with health workers at Al-Shifa Hospital. But one thing is clear. Under international humanitarian law, health facilities, health workers, ambulances, 
and patients must be safeguarded and protected against all acts of war. Not only that, they must be actively protected during military planning. That's Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, the Director General of the World Health Organization. This is the head of the Israeli Defense Forces. Based on intelligence information and an operational necessity, IDF forces are carrying out a precise and targeted operation against Hamas in a specified area in the Shifa hospital. The IDF is conducting a ground operation in Gaza to defeat Hamas and rescue our hostages. Israel is at war with Hamas, not with the civilians in Gaza. The IDF forces include medical teams and Arabic speakers who have undergone specified training to prepare for this complex and sensitive environment with the intent that no harm is caused to the civilians being used by Hamas as human shields. In recent weeks, the IDF has publicly warned time and again that Hamas's continued military use of Shifa hospital jeopardizes its protected status under the international law. We also gave ample time to stop this unlawful abuse of the hospital. The IDF has also facilitated wide-scale evacuation of the hospital and maintained regular dialogue with hospital authorities. Daniel Hagari, no apologies from Israel for the attacks on the Al-Shifa hospital. Even if health facilities are used for military purposes, the principles of distinction, precaution and proportionality always apply. The safety of patients and staff, as well as the integrity of the healthcare systems in the wider community are of paramount concern. International humanitarian law must be respected. WHO has staff who live in Gaza, but many of them have been displaced and are just trying to protect themselves and their families. One of our staff said this week, there is no water, no food, no electricity. Only bombing, bombing, bombing. Dr. Tadros, now, as you've been hearing today, the United Nations Security Council has finally agreed a resolution which is calling for pauses in the conflict to allow for humanitarian aid to get into Gaza. Today, we were able to adopt a resolution on this conflict. And as I said in the chamber, I'm horrified that a few members of this council still cannot bring themselves to condemn the barbaric terrorist attacks that Hamas carried out against Israel on October 7th. There's no excuse for the Council's inability to condemn Hamas, none whatsoever. That said, the United States supports many of the provisions of this resolution, the calls for Hamas to release the hostages, for international humanitarian law to be respected, 
for humanitarian pauses that will enable the unhindered flow of urgently needed humanitarian aid and for safe passage of civilians fleeing the fighting. We also know that while this resolution is critical, its passage alone will not save lives. Actions on the ground will. We've worked with Israel, its neighbors, the United Nations, and other partners to get aid into the hands of vulnerable Gazans. And we have secured initial steps for critical humanitarian pauses, pauses that should be coordinated with the UN to enable hostage release, help civilians reach safe areas, increase the flow of aid, and ensure it reaches those in need. That's Linda Thomas-Greenfield, the American ambassador to the United Nations. But what is peculiar is that the United States, along with the UK and Russia, abstained in voting for that resolution, which will allow humanitarian aid to get into Gaza. Much needed humanitarian aid, if ever there was a case. Why would they abstain? Well, the Americans say it's because the resolution failed to condemn Hamas. Now, the Israeli ambassador to the United Nations is Gilad Erdan, and he's been speaking to 124 News following a massive rally in Washington where 300,000 people protested at the National Mall, uh, uh, the largest pro-Israeli rally ever to be held in the United States. I was there and it was moving to feel the love and to see hundreds of thousands of Jews coming to uh, express their love, support, solidarity with the state of Israel from all across the United States. People were driving 10 hours uh, each side just to come there and express their love uh, towards Israel. And I think that, yes, we are united as a people to to accomplish our goals now, to eradicate Hamas, to return our hostages. And it's a tragedy. Implementing a directive which has come from the very top of uh, the HSE, which will mean that nursing, or beg your pardon, uh, patients in hospital who no longer need to be in hospital, who have been medically discharged, will be moved to, to the first available nursing home bed. It's been criticised by Professor Des O'Neill, who's a uh, well-known and respected geriatrician. Uh, and indeed, we heard uh, some criticism of it on this programme a couple of weeks ago from the Irish Senior Citizens Parliament. Let's speak to Neve Griffin, who's the health correspondent for the Irish Examiner. Good morning to you, Neve. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. And you've been speaking to the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, about this. What has he had to say about it? Uh, yes, well, as you mentioned there, there's a lot of concern coming from different areas, but the Minister has said that he fully supports the measure. Um, and he said that he's actually been disappointed, as the word he used, at the reaction from um, geriatricians and community um, health workers. So they're seeing it as um, that the patients on the trolleys are the urge, are in, in urgent need of care. They're at the start of their care journey, I suppose, and that they need hospital beds. So anyone mm. whose hospital care is finished needs to be discharged. But as we know, um, like in your area as well as many other areas, there's a shortage of nursing home beds 
So what the HSC is saying now is they, if you need, if you are a person who needs a nursing home, they will move you to wherever the bed is available, and that might not be your preferred um, location. Yeah, and I suppose the expectation is it will be temporary, Michael. But that's part of what the concern is because yeah. that word temporary is not being defined. Uh, it sounds to me uh, as uh, though Bernard Loster, CEO of the HSE. Um, uh, Stephen Donnelly, the Minister for Health, uh, and indeed others are stopping short of calling people bed blockers. He was very, well. He was very clear that that that's not what what they were saying, but that they were um, encouraging. Was another word used? They were encouraging people to accept the beds that are offered, with the understanding that they will get, um, you know, what they need. And he also said that you know, if you're a person who's being discharged from hospital and you don't need nursing home but you need home care or you need other support mm. that you won't be sent to a nursing home um, but there is an awful lot of concern like age action, social workers Professor O'Neill very mm. worried about how it's going to work in practice Yeah indeed, uh, I'm sure uh, many of uh, the people uh, who are concerned are suggesting to the Minister and to, to the HSE that um, they are going to cause untold problems uh, for people, people themselves to be moved from hospital into places that they have concerns about because you quite often hear things about nursing homes and so on. Uh, their family may have those concerns. Their family may not be able to travel to see their loved ones uh, or it may be very difficult to do that. Uh, and there's a, a myriad of problems associated with moving somebody uh, to what will essentially be their next home, possibly their final home, against the will, if you like, of that person. Will it be against the will? Will you be able to say, no, I'm not going? Well, he said that it has come up already in a few places where people have said no, and the hospital doesn't really, you know, they're not throwing people out with how, how I suppose, how I understood it, but they are encouraging people to leave, um, if, if to, to move to, to the place, but only, of course, when their hospital treatment is finished. Um, and I suppose it's coming from... Uh, what they what the minister and Bernard Loster were saying is that it's coming from this concern that we might end up with hundreds of people. We already have hundreds of people, mm. even more hundreds of people on trolleys. And there's a lot of new studies coming out recently from France and Finland showing that if you spend a night on a trolley, it has a direct impact, negative impact on your health. It even increases your chances of dying. Um, but I suppose Professor O'Neill and the others would say there has to be a better way to fix that problem. Mm. Yeah, I was talking to somebody uh, very recently who spent a, a night in an emergency department uh, uh, sitting on a, a chair uh, and they said, uh, this is a fairly fit, healthy person, but uh, they said right. uh, it took them a, a week to get over it uh, because it's just dreadful thinking of sitting in a, a chair for a, a night, barely sleeping, of sleeping at all and all that sort of thing. Uh, but that's hardly the fault of somebody else who is already in hospital, is it? Yeah, that's exactly what um, people like the Age Action would say, that that they, they're, they're part, they're also sick and they're also in need of help and they shouldn't be asked to, to pick up the slack, I suppose, maybe you could put it like that, um, for the overcrowding issues elsewhere. Mm. So there's a lot of concern and the emergency department doctors have described us as the association for those doctors have described it as the least worst option. Um, so they're, they're seeing it as, as helpful, but they're also not really uh, rolling out the red carpet for it, I think. Uh, what's your um, 
sense uh, of this, Neve. Um, what do you think is driving this? Um, is it because of a failure to secure adequate funding for the health budget next year? Uh, that's probably one reason for it. Um, I think the, the groups like the social workers would point to a history of lack of investment so that there should be more uh, public nursing homes, more rehabilitation beds, step-down beds, respite areas, more home care, and that all of these things would uh, facilitate older people in leaving hospital, Mm. you know, as soon as their treatment is finished. So it's really part of a much bigger picture where there's a lot of gaps really in the system that, um, you know, a lot of people, you you go into hospital and you get treated, but you're not, you're better from the illness, Mm. but you just need that little bit of extra support. And that's really where the gaps are, I think. And this this policy is pointing that up, I think. Okay, well, we've an awful lot of problems in the hospitals and indeed uh, with people waiting to get beds in hospitals, sleeping uh, on trolleys uh, for hours or days, as uh, the case uh, may be uh, at times. Uh, Wasn't it in January where we nearly had a a 1,000 people, 900 and something people uh, on trolleys? Uh, Do you think, and I'm sure you remember all the complaints about that, it seemed like everybody in the country knew somebody who was on a, a trolley or phone lines lit up uh, with people complaining about okay. how disgraceful it was and uh, how long people had to wait and all that sort of thing. Very sick uh, people in, in that situation. Do you think uh, that there's less fallout from moving elderly people into nursing homes than there is from leaving people on trolleys when you talk about the less worse option? Oh, that's a great question. And I think, unfortunately, the answer is yes, because it's less visible like you or I can walk, our patient can walk to an emergency department and see the overcrowding, but older people being moved into a, you know, a number of different nursing homes around the country, temporarily or not temporarily, uh, or it will be temporarily is, is, is the, the promise, but that's much less visible. Okay. It's an interesting development, uh, Neve. We'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you, though, for joining us uh, this morning, as always. Neve Griffin, Health Correspondent for The Irish Examiner. Good morning, and I think it is shocking news uh, this morning. You're going to be listening to Ryan Tuberty on LMFM on Sunday mornings. That's if you're listening to LMFM on Sunday mornings. Some people are asking now, do we want Ryan Tuberty or Mass on LMFM on a Sunday morning? And it may come down to this, and I think you'll be hearing about this throughout the day. As I say, I think it's uh, shocking news, but Bernie was in touch to say uh, Michael was very unprofessional, sneering about Ryan Turberty starting on LMFM. It's not Michael's job to judge where anyone is going to work. I actually wasn't steering. Uh, if I sounded that way, I do apologise, uh, Bernie. Uh, I wasn't steering about it. Uh, you probably heard my shock. I still am shocked at the idea. You'll be working for other radio stations as well. Uh, those stations who, like LMFM, are part of the wireless group. Eamon says... Uh, on a different uh, matter altogether. It's horrendous to see what's happening to the people in Gaza. The Israelis are seen bringing in boxes uh, to the hospital yesterday and they're spreading a lot of uh, fake news to prolong the war. Uh, Pat in Carrick-McCross, I beg your pardon, Pat, uh, wants to know why is RTE not being investigated? Why does D Forbes not have to answer uh, questions? Uh, the, there's a lot of questions that uh, the public want answered. Well, I think uh, there's a, a big investigation going into RTE. Uh, a couple of Oireachtas committees, uh, Pat, for that matter. I don't think uh, that's uh, what you're looking for, but uh, I believe D Forbes is sick and um, can't appear 
before those committees uh, and uh, I think D Forbes may have had something to do with Ryan Tribbledy's salary uh, and indeed uh, that ended up in him losing his job which is why uh, he's in the news today and is going to be working for wireless and on LMF on, on Sundays apparently to my surprise and shock. Tommy uh, phoned us about that and he says Ryan Tuberty should never be employed by an Irish station. He ruined and bankrupted RTA. 400 are going to lose their jobs. Tommy says that's because of Ryan Tuberty. Paul says he'd like to congratulate us here on a, a good show. It's horrendous the amount of women and children who are getting killed in Gaza. It's not right. Something needs to be done urgently. Mary in touch with us today as well. Mary says it's not right that 16 year olds are going to be allowed to drive uh, is there not enough cars on the road what about all of this pollution uh, not sure uh, where that's coming from Mary but thanks uh, for that uh, might have missed something Sheila in touch with us today as well saying it's absolutely ludicrous that people will be fined for pulling in on the hard shoulder because uh, they're too tired it's pure madness what are they thinking of at all uh, well I don't think you're meant to pull in on the hard shoulder if you're tired uh, the hard shoulder is a very dangerous place at the best of times Sheila it's these laybys which is where uh, the road uh, extends a little bit uh, to the left so that you can pull in safely uh, and uh, you'll see them on motorways in particular. Uh, they're being uh, closed off to private motorists and will only be uh, available to trucks, HGVs uh, and uh, the like will be allowed to use them, but uh, private cars will not be allowed to use them. Uh, back to the Ryan Tuberty news. Uh, somebody texting saying, don't worry, Michael, there is only one Michael Reid. Uh, that's Maggie. Thank you, Maggie, indeed. Uh, somebody else says, this news about Ryan Tuberty has just ruined my Sunday mornings. And another WhatsApp from somebody uh, who says, bad move from LMFM. Well, thank you indeed uh, for that. Uh, so many people in touch with us about uh, this news with Ryan Tuberty. Uh, Margaret says, well, Michael, here's the one that won't be listening to LMFM on a Sunday morning as much as I love my local radio station. Thanks, Margaret, for telling us. Uh, another text from somebody who says, hi, Michael, I'm disgusted. Ryan Tuberty is back on Irish airwaves and especially to think it's with LMFM. I thought LMFM had higher morals. Thank you uh, for that. Uh, somebody else saying, wow, Michael, just wow. Ryan Turbretty, wow. <laughs> uh, that's uh, Christine Arkins in Kells, who uh, is a bit wowed this morning. I think it's true to say. Another text about Ryan Turbretty saying, will you please wish Ryan Turbretty all the very best in his new job with LMFM. I'm over the moon with your great news. Thank you indeed. Mary then says, oh dear, Michael, I cannot hardly believe my ears. Bad move. Cannot listen to him, let alone look at him. So giddy, cannot stand or cannot sit or stand still. When he started on The Late Late, I gave up watching it and his replacement is not any different. Ryan Tuberty, really, what are they thinking of? Uh, thank you uh, indeed uh, for that as well. Uh, uh, Agnes in RD says, Ryan Tuberty on LMFM and a lot of question marks. News story on independent.ie that is relocating to London to take a job on Virgin Radio UK, not a mention of LMFM. I won't be listening to him anyways, says Agnes. Thanks uh, indeed uh, for that, Agnes. Uh, and you are correct. Both stories are correct and they are the same story uh, because uh, we're talking about the wireless group which uh, incorporates so many radio stations and publications. Uh, we're part of a huge, huge conglomerate uh, which uh, 
would uh, include uh, the uh, Virgin Radio and the likes. Uh, but there'll be a programme that will be played on Irish radio stations. I gather, because I'm uh, as wise or as knowledgeable about this as you are, um, that we'll be able to listen to here on uh, Sunday mornings. Any uh, Somebody else uh, texting saying, is he going to say mass? <laughs> That's what we got. Otherwise, leave him where he is, says our caller. <laughs> Thank you indeed. Mick and Kel says, you better mind your job now, Michael. When Ryan gets started, he'll be looking over your shoulder. The next thing, he could be sitting in your chair. I wouldn't like that. I listen to your show every day, says Mick and Kells. Thank you very much, Mick. Uh, that's a, a great uh, compliment. Mag Y says, Michael, people have to realise this is uh, getting back to the very serious uh, topic of Gaza, that the Iranian government who are behind the cause of war and death in Gaza it's the Iranians who support Israel, the Iranian government is also behind uh, the slaughter in Yemen where tens of thousands of children have been killed thank you indeed Mag uh, you did confuse me a little bit there uh, but thanks for that. Margaret in touch with us about laybys. she says who in TII came up up with this harebrained idea to close laybys to car users when the motorways were built they didn't even bother putting in motorway services cart before the horse as usual and now they want to shut down some rest areas that were put in place for a very good reason and that is so that you can take a break if you feel tired in the UK there is a, a motorway service every 25 miles but not here will there have to be pileups or worse on the motorways as a result of tired drivers not being able to stop in laybys it'll be too late then. I despair at some of the rules and regulations some of these bodies come up with. On motorways, we are told by TII, with their huge signs, that tiredness kills and that it does. So why are they closing laybys? It doesn't make sense to deprive a tired driver of a safe place to stop and rest. Where is the logic behind all of this? Tired drivers are not safe drivers, says Margaret. Thank you indeed, Margaret. Uh, we had a text then from Matthew in Drogheda once again about Ryan Tuberty saying he's getting his flip-flops ready. Uh, I would imagine he has a few pairs all right uh, and they don't come cheap as you know Matthew. Helen in Trim says Michael surely someone is pleased for Ryan. I take it uh, that is uh, the case. Thank you indeed. Uh, Margaret number two says Michael it's disgraceful that LMFM is letting Tuberty come onto my local radio station. He took that salary from RTE. Now lower paid people are out of their jobs. Did he give back the 75,000 yet. Tell him to hump off to the BBC. I'm sick to the stomach. That's all we have time for. Our time is up. Thanks to Brian Farley for researching today. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael Godwin and we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. Listen back to the Michael Reed Show podcast on lmfm.ie or the LMFM app. The Michael Reed Show with AirGrid, managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. New TB rules would curtail the cattle trade. In this week's Irish Farmers Journal, find out why. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.